Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 73. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And welcome to one of the most controversial episodes we're going to have this year, I think. It, you know why? Because so many people are divided on this particular movie that we're going to have two very different ends of the spectrum, I think, when it comes to listener reaction. And maybe our own reactions, because we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, talking about the 2019 live-action remake of Aladdin. But I remember when this movie opened, we had people telling us it was the best Disney live-action remake they ever saw, and then you had a large portion of the audience that swore it off and said it was absolutely terrible. Even before the movie, though, the trailer was so polarizing because... You didn't see the genie and people flipped out and they were like, Will Smith better be blue. And then we got a second trailer and we saw that he was blue and people flipped out all over again. There was no satisfying anyone with this trailer. I understand that's the purpose of a trailer. It's sole purpose. It's advertising. It's marketing. But what I am getting tired of is movie studios releasing trailers with characters more specifically with special effects that are not completely rendered or finished. Because I think that was the issue with the genie when we finally saw him blue in the trailer was it wasn't done. So you don't put it out there for the world to see if it's not a finished product. Well, Tom Hopper would have done well to uh, follow that advice. They released a whole movie where they... <laughs> The visual effects weren't done. I don't. Whatever. I don't. No, it. that's a whole other conversation. I'm not. I'm not having it again on the show. I'm not having it again ever, because I can't even deal with cats. But anyway, uh, that's that's a fair point, and that's the thing. You're trying to create so much buzz. That's what, as a fan, I'm kind of getting sick of. Is like Jungle Cruise. We saw a teaser for it. What, like two years ago, and we've had to wait for that movie now. We, well, we, what we saw was that Instagram video of Dwayne Johnson and um, Emily Blunt, and it zoomed out on the set. Actually, I don't even think Emily Blunt was there. I think it might have been just him, and it zoomed out on the set. And then we got a teaser last year. So it came out like a year ahead of time. I, don't, I feel like we've been waiting on that one forever. Maybe it is just because I'm so excited for it. No, we've been waiting on, on Jungle Cruise forever in a day. Yeah, I agree with you because what they're releasing is a teaser. And that's the point. It is to tease you and just give you a little drop in the bucket. But that creates so much controversy and so much speculation that by the time you get a trailer, people are already jumping to their own conclusions. We have seen how the internet can ruin a film based on one trailer. Look no further than 2016's, and the movie did suck, 2016's Ghostbusters Answer the Call. There was so much controversy around not even the trailer, but the social media reaction to that trailer. We were predisposed to hate it. Right. And now the movie ended up being crap. And and, and the, the thing with that movie was I and I shredded that trailer apart right. without without launching into my diatribe on this show. 
I ripped that trailer apart because it was clear from the trailer they were not following the source material, but they pretended like they did. And I said, I hope this was just a bad trailer. I don't like what I've seen so far. And then another trailer came out, and I said, ooh, that's a bad trailer. By the third bad trailer, I said, no, this is just going to be a bad movie. But I spent my money on opening night, and I went and I saw it, and it stunk, and we're, we're leaving it behind. And Jason Reitman's going to fix it now. But the point is, that movie was deemed a bomb because of social media and the attack on that trailer. So you would think that when Disney is going to come out and do a live-action remake of what is one of the most beloved films in the history of the company, a film that has transcended generations, that they would have put out a completed trailer. And when I say a completed trailer, I mean your visual effects are rendered properly. Why would you even set yourself up for the social media attack. I, I just don't understand it. Well, I think that's it. I think the most controversy came from the genie because it's, as you said, this film has transcended gen generations, but like the character as well. The genie is used so much in the parks and now they're even going to have the new app for, you know, to kind of customize your park experience, which right. is going to be called the genie. They announced that at D23. So... I think that's why, because the genie is so beloved as well. They were never going to be able to do right with anything regarding the genie, especially because Robin Williams has since passed on. But you know what? I got news for you. If he was still alive, I don't know that they would have cast him. I think his age would have been against him. He would have had to be completely CGI'd at that point. Yeah, and... and if they used him at all, maybe de-aged his face and put it on. But like when you think about what we do have now with Will Smith, Robin Williams was just not going to be able to pull that off. And I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I, I don't know that he would have had a fair shot to I reprise the role. I don't think so. And I also think that even though now it's been, I think it's been five or six years since he passed away. 2014, I think, yeah. So it's been six years up to this point in this recording, up to this date. I think that without getting into a whole social commentary, I think the way that Robin Williams passed away is still an open wound for a lot of people. And I think Absolutely. that people are very protective of Robin Williams and the characters that he played. So I think that the genie specifically was going to be a target regardless of who they cast exactly. in the role. Exactly. Because he's a beloved character played by a beloved actor who died very tragically. But that's that's my argument is I think that if he was still alive, the character is still so beloved and it was still so iconic. I think there still would have been an outcry if he wasn't cast or recast. Like yeah. like the way that they did, and we're going to talk about this soon, uh, Nobody can be Mufasa other than James Earl Jones. But Favreau had the opportunity and age didn't make a difference. Right. I don't think that's it's not the same case here. Not if they were intent on him being a live action actor. I think you're right. They would have had to have de-aged him. 
or he would have just been a CGI character the entire time. Right. In which case, he would have just been a CGI replication of what we had in the original Aladdin. So to give you a very brief synopsis on the original Aladdin, um, I believe the film opens on... Do we see the Cave of Wonders? It's been a while since I saw the original Aladdin. I think it opens on the Cave of Wonders. It's the Peddler. And then he throws to the Cave of Wonders. Right, throws to the Cave of Wonders. And the Peddler was also voiced by uh, Robin Williams. I think that was supposed to be the genie in human form. I had mentioned that when we reviewed it. Right, and and perhaps they played up on that. We'll get into the beginning of the live-action film in a minute, but it throws to the Cave of Wonders. We see Jafar is trying to get the lamp, and he needs the diamond in the rough to get it. We then meet Aladdin, who, who is the diamond in the rough. Who is the diamond in the rough. He's a thief. They call him a street rat. Um, he meets Princess Jasmine, who is in the marketplace, but not dressed as the princess because she's trying to get out of the palace and she wants to see the world and experience more than her four walls and her palace. And she hands bread to some children, not thinking that you have to pay for it. She has no money. She's about to have her hand cut off for stealing. Aladdin swoops in and rescues her and they get chased around the marketplace of Agrabah and... She ends up getting back into the palace and... The guards capture Aladdin because they right. were after him for stealing something else. So then he's in jail where he meets Jafar, who has learned that he is the diamond in the rough. And Jafar helps him escape jail, takes him to the Cave of Wonders, only right. to trap him in there after Aladdin retrieves the lamp. Right, because Abu takes a piece of the treasure that he's not supposed to take. And they were warned about that before, so the Cave of Wonders closes in around them. Aladdin rubs the lamp to clean it. The genie comes out. Genie helps them get out of the cave. And Aladdin wants to pursue Jasmine, so he wishes to become a prince. And he becomes Prince, prince Ali, Ali of Ababwa. And with the help of the flying carpet... And the genie, he shows Princess Jasmine the whole new world because she's not all that interested in meeting another prince who she's trying to be betrothed to for all intents and purposes. Um, and eventually, Jafar catches on to what's going on. He gets his hands on the lamp. He exposes Aladdin. Exposes Aladdin, wishes to become the sultan, wishes to become an almighty sorcerer. But as Aladdin puts it, you'll always be second best to the genie because... Jafar wants to be second to no one, wishes to become the most powerful genie on earth without thinking that means that you're going into the lamp. So he and Iago end up in the lamp, and the genie, the proper genie, sends them off to the Cave of Wonders, and the film ends with uh, Aladdin wishing for the genie's freedom. So genie is no longer a genie. He's free to go where he wants, and he does end up with Jasmine because the sultan allows her to marry whoever she wants. Um, so you mentioned when we reviewed the original film and you just talked about it right now. Yes. If you want the more in-depth plot of the film, you can go back and listen to our previous recording of the animated Aladdin. Yeah. We, re we really dissect it and go into it. Um, and, and actually I think I had said that that was a near perfect film, if not a perfect film. Yeah. I think it was my review. I think that it. was probably like our highest rated episode ever. Um, one of them that it was up there. 
uh, I think Lion King was also up there, and the Muppets was probably there too. Mm. Um, in terms of you know, as I'm kind of going through this quickly, some of our highest ranked films. You can go back and listen to all that on the back catalog, and you can find that on your iTunes or your podcast platform platform of choice. Um, and with that said. We also had a lot invested in this film because Aladdin is one of our favorites. So we were pretty nervous going in. But you talked about it before how you believed that the genie um, was being shown in human form when he was the peddler in the marketplace. Right, because they pull from the color scheme. And then I also realized how would he know the story? Right. And you're thinking maybe it's just folklore. But they kind of elaborate on that in this Aladdin film. Yes, I feel very validated. Because the film opens with Will Smith and his children on a boat, and he tells them that he this story of Aladdin. He says, I'm going to tell you the story of Aladdin. So, right, And there's no question, this is not like what they did in the animated one where it was just you recognize the voice and you think, oh, maybe. This is literally the genie in human form. So you're, they're up front with it. And at first I kind of hated this choice, even though for as validated as I felt, I was like, I don't know that we need to, you know, you're, you're eliminating a lot of suspense because yes, we know Aladdin's going to free the genie, but you're showing an awful lot of your hand by showing him with his family. Right. So... You see that, and he launches into the Arabian Nights song. And you know what? Will Smith, he sounds great. I know, listen, there was the Fresh Prince, and he did his rap thing, <laughs> okay? But you know what? Will Smith can actually be a song and dance guy. He can carry a tune. Um, I will say that as far as the song goes for Arabian Nights, he misses some of those bigger notes. But yes. like where Robin Williams goes deep, he goes a little bit higher because I don't think he can get that low. Um, it's not bad, but it was missing a little bit of the gusto that I wanted from it. But the sequence is gorgeous. This was a really strong start to the film because you see the desert at night and you see the fire. Like It reminds me a lot of being in the parks in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I agree with you. He he lacks the range mm. that Robin Williams has because he can't go low, but he also, specifically in Friend Like Me, and we'll dissect it in a few minutes, um, he, he doesn't have that range because in Friend Like Me, um, when Robin Williams did it, it was never had a friend like... And I'm obviously, I don't have the singing voice for this, but he stepped up, 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 and belted the end whereas will smith kind of stayed here and hit the high note on on the end though he didn't build up to it like <clears throat> like rob like robin williams did and, and it's the same thing here in arabian nights you're right yeah because he doesn't have the range it doesn't have the build but they made it work i mean look some people have made an entire career as a singer and they can't really sing looking at you anthony kiedis even gwen stefani love them both but they can't actually sing. They just do what they do really well. Will Smith is a rapper, and he made this work for him. Yeah. <laughs> it's Anthony Kiedis. Could you imagine him doing a song for Disney? <clears throat> that would be a lot of fun. Oh, God. Well, crazier things have happened. Look at the look at the uh, 
turn that Trent Reznor's career took once he started composing. Very true. But anyway, we're, we're off topic here. Um, Although Anthony Kiedis doesn't do drugs anymore, so I don't know that we'd get that uh, that magic that unless, we want. Unless Disney does a movie about California specifically and, and the City of Angels, you're probably not going to get Anthony Kiedis for a Disney film. The idea of Anthony. Now I want to do. Now I want to say. Okay. Now we're totally off the rails, and I don't care. Now I'm invested in this idea of Anthony Kiedis doing a Disney soundtrack somewhere. Pixar. I can mm. see it for a Pixar. Next big hero movie. We're gonna write into our people, and by our people I mean, contact us at Disney.com or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever generic form that you have to fill out. Anyway, the point is. It's not that Will Smith is a bad singer. It's that what he lacks in range, he makes up for an enthusiasm. Without question. Um, but yeah, I love the op- opening sequence. And uh, I love what they did with Agrabah because then, you know, night fades into day and you see that it's a port. And it's not in the... I mean, it's still the middle of the desert. Let's, let's you know, not mix the signals here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still hot, but they are right on the water and it's a big trading post and I think it lends to the story but it also lends to the production design because now they're trading so you've got so many more colors and these rich textures and where Aladdin the animation sometimes looks very washed out it's just like those oranges and reds when they're in the desert you've got so much more brightness and so much more life and for all intents and purposes the way that they blended everything together they've got like patterns and colors that should not mix but it's stunning you get a lot of depth here how this got overlooked for the academy awards is beyond me because the production design is it's flawless i love it we do meet aladdin very quickly um and the one of one of my criticisms here is that yes Agrabah looks great. Um, obviously, there are sets, but there is also a lot of CGI. And something that I wish had not been CGI'd was Abu. I wish Abu would have been an animal actor because he just looks so incredibly fake to me. And I, I know he is fake, but we see the CGI in, for example, The Jungle Book. And it looks really good. And you have a live-action actor in that movie. We've obviously seen very good live-action, uh, or very good uh, CGI animals in The Lion King, for example. And which, Lady and the Tramp. Which we're going to talk about soon. And Lady and the Tramp, the cats notwithstanding. So when you put this CGI here, it really takes away from the film because I no longer feel like I'm watching a live action thing anymore. Even though it is live action actors and it's a set, I'm so taken out of it by this blatantly animated character that it just does, it's a miss for me. I would agree with you there and that is kind of surprising too because of all animals that you could put in a movie monkeys are like relatively easy to train because they have the biggest understanding. I don't 
I, I agree with you, but I don't think you could have used a real monkey throughout the entire film, like for scenes like one jump because it's quick moving or like definitely the cave of wonders you couldn't have. But to see a little bit more of a blend like they did with Lady and the Tramp, I think that would have been more effective. Yeah. At least when he's on his shoulder and he sends him off and he grabs something off a table, you could use an animal actor for that. I understand that's more time consuming. I understand that's more expensive. This movie grossed over a billion dollars at the box office. Okay. Like I, I just wish I wish that they didn't rely on CGI so much. And that's not a criticism of Disney so much as it's just a criticism of cinema. I have a and I've said it on this show a thousand times. It drives me crazy that we rely so much on CGI now rather than practical effects and sets. As I was going to say, especially with set building, that bothers me. Let's talk for a second about Mina Masood as mm -hmm. Aladdin. He's really good. Yeah, I I would say near perfect. Um, I think that's demonstrated immediately in the trust me line. I think he nailed that. He did. And it's not just the way he says it. It's the eyes. It's the way he emotes it. And that was the make or break you moment as far as the actor. Yeah. And he's got a good singing voice. Um, you you know, the, the big difference here is that versus the original film is that he meets Jasmine immediately here. There's not really that build up to it. You don't really see Jasmine first and then see her sneak out into the marketplace. She's already there. Um, which... I felt was okay. Um, like, it's not great. Uh, here's the thing. You're doing a live-action remake of this film, and I'm... I'm... How do I say this? I What I don't like about this is that they're, they're just assuming you've seen the original Aladdin. Nine out of ten people have. But if you're that one person, you have to you have to pretend that not everybody has seen it, and you need to sh you need to show us why she's doing this. You just hit the nail on the head because this was a deviation that didn't work at all for me. Because in the animated one, like you said, before this scene where she's in the marketplace, we meet her with her father. She's being courted by Prince Ahmed, so we see one of these men that's being paraded through the palace trying to court her. Um, and we establish that she wants more out of her life than this, and we establish the conflict with the sultan. Here, she's in the marketplace. We don't know why this woman that's very well-dressed doesn't have money, and we don't know why Aladdin needs to save her. So I think you're right. It was not fair for them to assume that we just know all of this is happening. And that's what they need to keep in mind when they do these live action remakes is you can't just assume that, especially when it's kids who maybe this might be their introduction to Aladdin. And of course the kid is not going to read that much into this, but we do need to care about Jasmine and we don't yet. The other miss for me is that we've just met Aladdin and one jump is his character development, I don't think it's any place for Jasmine to be. Um, I agree. Um, it bothers me less than it bothers you. Um, because 
I feel like what they were trying to do here in inserting her into one jump, as well as skipping the whole backstory with her being um, put on show by the Sultan and having these princes paraded through, was that they were trying to make the best use of their runtime. I think in their mind, they had two hours and they wanted to expand on Jasmine a little bit more and give her more of a role and more of a story, which is fine. And that's why they stuck her in here because now they've put her in the one jump scene. Now he doesn't need to spend additional time explaining who he is or why he does what he does because she's seeing it firsthand. So I, I feel like this is their way of expediting the process. And it also sets up when he eventually gets back to his home mm -hmm. and they have their little interaction there. Um, but I do agree with you where it's that's really supposed to be his moment, not theirs. Yeah. And I think what bothers me, too, is that it slows the song down. Because he's so concerned with saving her that he lose some of his he loses some of his scrappiness and some of his resourcefulness because he's really thinking about it on the fly and he's pulling one over on the guards as he goes through. And this kind of like slows it down because at times they have to divide and kind of meet back up later so that you know they're splitting the guards up. And I just feel like it's so focused on getting her out of there. You're missing a lot of the fun elements. Like even the still I think he's rather tasty. He's just kind of walking upstairs and it, that's such a funny moment in the animated one. Yeah. And um, it just kind of happens here. It feels a little rushed. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is I know that this has always been a pet peeve of yours when it comes to any song or any movie that does this with a song, I should say, when you have a character singing and they cut to another <clears throat> character, which they do because <clears throat> he'll be singing and they cut to Jasmine running with Abu somewhere. Exactly. And that's where you lose those moments of him like pulling out all the tricks to escape the guards is because you have to know where she is. I mean, what I like is that, you know, I said the production design is amazing. So I like that we get to now move through those streets of Agrabah and they're doing so much more with the colors and the and the, you know, they've got everything draped and they're kind of walking through. So I think I think it's stunning. I just think it slowed down the what is a really fun musical number otherwise and to touch back on what you said before about their give you know they needed the time to build Jasmine's story a little bit more they gave her so much of a better arc and so much more independence and this is where you should be setting that up and you didn't it does come out in the speech when they're um you know when they get back to his his pad we'll call it yeah but i would have liked to see Aladdin struggle a little bit more especially because once they do get back up to his house we've established that he's poor and that he's struggling because we've seen him already steal something and then trade it for a bag of food which true to the animation he does end up giving to the poor children but what they're setting up there is that he's had to do this his whole life so we know that he's crafty and that he's always thinking on his feet and that he's surviving but because we know he how young now he lost his parents, it's not like he was 
poor once he grew up. It's he's been doing this his whole life. So it kind of makes you feel for him a little bit more. Right. And with that being said, where there's a miss here for me for I don't know what's going on with my voice this morning. I don't know either. What's missing here in one jump is the frantic escape. Yes. And the other thing is, it seems like he's having too much fun. Like, I know he kind of had a smirk on his face when he was escaping them in the animated version, but he's basically smiling and laughing through this entire thing. And I know it kind of adds to his his savviness and his general attitude, but I don't like the fact that he's enjoying himself so much. It's, it's, it, this comes off almost like it's a game to him. Yeah, because in the animated one it comes off a little bit more cocky yeah here the smiling and laughing eliminates the danger because the whole song is about you know and there's the line in it it's gotta gotta eat to live gotta steal to eat so if you don't get away with this you're either gonna starve or you're gonna get arrested and it takes out the high stakes Versus if they get caught now, you lose the princess. Right. I do like that they've gone with this rock opera sound. It works. However, at times it's kind of inconsistent because in this song, it goes rock opera to a little bit of Bollywood to a little bit of hip hop. It's not it's not consistent throughout. So I feel like they've gone with this style, rock opera works, but you have to stick with it. I feel like I feel like the soundtrack, and we're only in the first song here, it seems like it's a bit confused within itself. That doesn't bother me, though. I mean, I don't mind that they blended styles because I think that the choices that they made for each individual song, I think that they all worked. Well, let, let's. I'll save it for the for the final synopsis of this film because we haven't even gotten away from the first song here yet. Other, than, well, the second song, Arabian Nights, was the first. Um, and then Jasmine, yes, they have their little conversation in the pad. We find out that her mother has passed away. So obviously, we know she doesn't have a mother in the animated film. Oh, but we find out that the mother was killed, and that's why the princess is not allowed out of the palace. That's the bit of backstory that we get. Yes, and that's why her father is so protected over her. Right. We all. They also introduce something that's a little bit different. Is that. Uh, Aladdin believes that she is the princess's handmaid. Dahlia. Dahlia, yes. yes. And that's why she had to go out into the marketplace to get something or whatever it was. And Aladdin just kind of lets, she just kind of lets Aladdin believe that. And what I like about that scene uh, or, or, or that bit of dialogue is that it shows how smart he is, where he looks at her and he goes, well, yes. clearly you're not just somebody that works in the palace. You have these imported robes. And she thinks that he's about to like out her for what she is. And he goes, I've seen these come in on the trade boats. You're somebody very close to the princess, so you're a handmaiden. And she was just like, yep. You know, it was like that bit of relief. You got me. Do you know what, re- you know what it reminded me of, actually? In Casino Royale, when... Daniel Craig meets Ava Green for the first time on the train Mm -hmm. while they're on their way to the Casino Royale. Mm. And they're sitting there having dinner. And he basically tells her, you're adopted. 
uh, you had to prove your, I think it was like you had to prove yourself as a female, uh, you know, versus, you know, in a very male driven this, that, and the other thing. And nobody took you seriously. And she just sits there and doesn't like deny or confirm anything that she's just said. She just kind of sits there and nods because he's so intelligent that he read her. That's what I get out of this scene. And I like that they gave Aladdin that sort of depth because he's more than just street smart and knows how to steal. He's actually a very intelligent person. Yeah, like he knows the way of the world, but it also works for Jasmine too because she just lets him believe that and she still has the upper hand. Yes. Because she's not exposing herself. Where this scene kind of falls apart a little bit for me and it really deviates from the original is that the next prince is coming in and they see his arrival at the port and everything. Again, it's where this port really does work to move the story forward. So she's like, I have to get back to the palace and help the princess get ready. So Aladdin has to escort her back to the palace. Um, You get that little scene where the horse is about to stomp the children and they, they throw the line of your born a street rat, you'll die a street rat and only your fleas will mourn you. So they stick that in there. Um, but it's the way he leaves her at the palace and he steals something else from her and he's like, I'm going to get this back to you. No, that happens later. That's when, what happens right. is he brings her back to the palace. He goes to give her her mother's bracelet and, and Abu, Abu had, taken, had it. taken it. And, but that's what I, the other, I, I don't like about that is they just had this lovely moment and they had this, they opened up to each other and she's seen what he really is. And he says, I'm sorry, Abu took it. I'll have to get it back to you. I will get it back to you. And she just like writes him off. Yes, she's like, you're a thief. I should have known better. It's too much. He wouldn't say he took it. I'll get it back to you. There's too much, you know, zero to 60. And you're going from one end of the spectrum to the other. And it happens too fast. And it, it didn't give the scene or the character development any room to breathe. The other thing, and this is what I don't like about it either time, is that I'm going to come to the palace and get it back to you. Right. It's so absurd. You know the palace is heavily guarded. And I think that maybe plays back into what we were saying before is that this is all just a game to him. And again, it's weird because he's not being cocky about thinking he can just get away with this. But I just kind of think it's ridiculous that like there's such a division now between the palace and the people. And that's what they've established is that Jasmine loves her people the way that her mother did. And her father is really what's kind of put this wall up essentially. I mean, there's always a wall around the palace, but there's a bigger divide because he wants to keep her safe and he's not paying attention to what's going on in the outside world or outside of the palace walls. So it's like, really like, how do you, how do you think you're going to get back in there? Right. That I don't like. I kind of wish they had kept it as that, the guards catch up to Aladdin, especially because the next scene we meet Jafar and the first thing that we see him do is like push one of his guys down like a well or something like that. So with very little explanation, we see that he's mean, but like, I don't believe the evil coming off of him at this point. So here's the thing. Similarly, you're just assuming that we've seen the original Aladdin and we know who Jafar is. Right. Marwan uh, Kenzari 
and I probably did not pronounce that properly, and I apologize. <clears throat> he is the actor that plays Jafar. I've said it before. I said it during the trailer. I said it on Monoreal in a minute. I'm going to say it again now. He is far too young for this role. But I think I, I think I narrowed down, other than his age, what it is about him that I don't like. See, young doesn't bother me, though, because... If this was Remy Malik, we would not be having this conversation. But go on. He is way too glazed over half the time. I know who you really are, Aladdin. Yes. And it doesn't come off as somebody that's unhinged. It comes off as somebody that's just in a cloud. And that eliminates all of the elements that made Jafar an amazing villain. Because he doesn't seem so cunning anymore. He doesn't seem so deliberate anymore. He just seems like he's almost way too unhinged. And he's just, I don't He's feel, detached. He's detached and he doesn't have his feet to the ground. He's not three steps ahead. I would, I, I completely agree with you. I would be okay that we lost some of that panache and some of that flamboyance that makes Jafar really fun if we went for completely unhinged here. And that's the thing. Like, a lot of his actions are evil, but they're very dismissive. Like now, when he knocks the guy into the well. Or later on, when he knocks Aladdin into the uh, into the ocean, and we see him use the second wish. Um, you know, still true to the original in that regard. Um, but I wanted him to be way more diabolical. And what they do, though, is they layer his story a little bit more. Yes, because right now I believe the Sultan is aligned with his wife's former kingdom. His wife, who has obviously passed on, as we said, Jasmine does not have her mother. And Jaf Jafar just wants to go to war with everybody. Yeah. So we don't have necessarily a motivation for him wanting to go to war other than that he wants power. But we do have more of a conflict between him and the Sultan other than him just controlling him with a staff. There's more... He's, he keeps pushing the Sultan to do things that he doesn't want to do. And then you get even more conflict with Jasmine because she's been studying and she believes that she has solutions to all of these problems and nobody's listening to her. Right, because as the Sultan points out, there has never been a female Sultan in the thousand-year history. And... Um, Without giving too much away, it's at this point that I'm interested in seeing how they flesh out the death of her mother, why she was killed, how she was killed. How does this affect anything other than Jasmine not being allowed out of the palace? Does any of that get fleshed out? We'll know by the end of the movie. I'm just going to leave that there. Um, Alan Tudyk plays Iago, and he can do anything and everything. Yeah. Alan Tudyk is insanely talented as a voice actor. I love what they did with Iago here because, okay, granted he's a full CGI character, but... He looks better than Abu. Yeah, he definitely looks better than Abu, and I really didn't think that anything was going to be able to replace Gilbert Godfrey. But the other thing is that, like, 
they made Iago so eccentric. Probably a lot of that was in part of what Gilbert Godfrey contributed to that role. But here, they brought it into the live action. They made him a real parrot. And, you know, we've all seen parrots mimic the people around them. So he does that, but they do take it a little bit farther. And it's not where he keeps feeding Jafar these plans, but he also acts as his spy. And I think that that was such a smart choice that he see Iago sees everything that's going on. He reports it back, but with very few words. So I, I love what they did. I think that was definitely an upgrade. Yeah. And I like, I mean, I think the costumes look great throughout this entire film, but I really like the costume that they did give to Jafar. I thought that it was a, I thought that it was a very good interpretation for a live action film. Yeah. you. It wasn't too much. You definitely got the cultural accuracy of it, but he still looks like Jafar. Yes. I mean, they, they pretty much did that with everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, the costuming is is gorgeous, especially Jasmine's, and we'll we'll get more into that, you know, with her traditional blue outfit that comes out for a whole new world. But um, yeah, I I love the costuming, but I think his really worked. You mentioned at the start of the show how you can't believe that this film was not recognized for visual effects by the Academy because of the world that they created within Agrabah. Not the visual effects, the production design. Well, the production design. Well, here's the thing. When the visual when we talk about visual effects here, when the CGI is bad, it's bad. It's unwatchable. And other than the fact that I don't like Abu, the first time the CGI stands out as being horrific to me is when you see Aladdin jumping around the palace for the first time when he first comes back to return, return the, the bracelet. bracelet to Princess Jasmine. And he's jumping around the palace. It's happening way too fast. It looks completely unnatural. And I feel like I'm watching a video game. It's really bad. Yeah, like specifically the uh, Super NES Aladdin. Exactly. We meet the real Dahlia, who is played, played by, by Nassim Pedrad, who is the best thing to come out of SNL in years. Yeah, she was not appreciated enough on that show. Well, she wasn't on it for very long. That's the thing. She she was great when she was on it. She left it to go do John Mulaney's sitcom, which got canceled after like three weeks. And then another thing that was not appreciated. Well, we didn't see the show. We just appreciate John Mulaney. But then she just never came back to Saturday Night Live. But she's done well for herself, and I think that she is legitimately funny and i think she's good comic relief and i like the fact that you gave jasmine a confidant more than just raja i agree um raja is still you know serving his purpose he's they still use him in the exact same way even with no dialogue to ward off the princes that are bad and you know eventually when aladdin does get in he kind of warms up to him a little bit but yeah i think it was great to give Jasmine a sounding board that's actually a person. So she's not just venting to Raja, like you said, exactly. Um, and and Nassim Pedrav is one of those people that can pull off the 
awkward funny, but it's still funny. Yes. Kristen Wiig can do it until it's too much. Yes. And that when that was her thing on Saturday Night Live. She got a lot of awkward laughs because she can handle that kind of comedy. Bridesmaids, for example. She's brilliant in that movie. She's absolutely brilliant. But then you watch some of what she did on SNL where it became too much with the awkward and it's it's a turnoff and you kind of get taken out of it. But Nassim Pedrad is able to do it in a way where she toes the line without crossing it. No, and they gave her a pretty meaty role here. Like, she does have a lot of dialogue. She does play a big part in it. But, yeah, it's never overdone. They never linger on that awkward comedy for too long. Now, At least not with her. With her. We'll get to that later. Yeah, because it does happen eventually. Now, Aladdin comes back into the palace, and Princess Jasmine is astonished to see him. And tells him that Dahlia is, in fact, Princess Jasmine. And that's where you get sort of that awkward comedy with Nassim, but she pulls it off really well. And I think this is where the chemistry between Naomi Scott, who plays Princess Jasmine, and Mina Masood, I think this is where it really starts to hit its stride. Because, you're, because you've seen them have this interaction. You had their meet cute early on. Mm-hmm in the film, but you're really starting to see them develop now. And I think that their chemistry is outstanding. Why? Because he tucks her hair behind her ear. Like, why is that a move? That bothers me so much. No one does that. No one does that. And that's not what I'm talking about. I just feel like the way that they converse back and forth with each other is very genuine. Oh, for sure. No, the chemistry is all there. It's in the dialogue. It's in the acting. It's fantastic. It just bothers me that the the hair move is like a thing. If I have any issue with the hair move, other than the fact that it's cheesy in films, it's that you have Princess Jasmine, who is a very strong character in both the animated film and in this film, but... She has like that 15-year-old girl oh, like look on her face when he touches her hair. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like And her reaction should be why are you touching me? I mean, I realize that that's the tell later when she puts together who Ali really is, but it's like you could have done anything. Like I expected her to like jump into a giggle fit and like cover her face and run away. Yeah. And go to AIM and go tell all of her friends about it. Or be like, you have cooties. <laughs> exactly. And then run. run I'm the showing my way. age. Run to AIM. God. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. It comes off very juvenile. Yes. It, it, it almost kind of brings the scene to a halt. Yeah. Then he takes her hair clip out and says, I'm, oh, well, he takes the hair clip out and says, I'll come back to return this to you. And then he tucks the hair back. Yeah. But again, with the, for, forget the hair tuck. Why? Why are you going to come back? Why not just ask her to go for a walk now? Yeah. Or say, I'm going to come back. We're going to go for a stroll. I don't know why you had to take the hair clip other than, I guess, to prove to her I am good for my word and I will actually come back to see you. And they flesh it out a little bit when he's, and, and you know, it's foreshadowing in the worst possible way when he walks out of her bedroom or whatever it is you consider that to be in the palace. And he goes, most headedly uh, head, uh, most heavily guarded place in Agrabah, Abu. Can you believe we just so easily broke through? It's like, gee, I wonder what's about to happen yeah. next. But it does show a bit of arrogance in him. I'm not even going to say confidence. That's arrogant. 
That's a good point. So I it kind of makes sense, but then he's captured by Jafar's men who are guards within the palace. Right, because now they've been watching him because Iago figured out that he's the diamond in the rough. And yeah. so Jafar's had it out for him. And that's what I don't like about this either, though, is that Aladdin, like, hand-delivered himself to Jafar on a silver platter. It's not like his guards had to go seek him out and he's ducking them in Agrabah. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, it gets us to the Cave of Wonders. Now, what I like here... uh, Sorry to interrupt you. The Cave of Wonders is still scary and it looks great. But... um, I really, really, really like what they did with Jafar here that they made him a former thief and he said basically and I'm uh, paraphrasing I had to lie cheat and steal my way into this and I found my way out but I used my skills to do it and you can't be the second best person in the room I like that they gave him that backstory because it gave Aladdin a means to buy into him. It definitely planted a seed with Aladdin. And he also says, I believe that um, you're never going to work your way out of your position. Mm -hmm. It's never going to just get better. You have to kind of make your own luck. Yeah. So it gives Aladdin all that more reason to have such conflict over using his third wish. Yeah. And I'm sorry that I interrupted you, but as you were saying, then we get to the Cave of Wonders. Oh, no. All good. That's what I was going to say. We're we're now at the part that everybody's been waiting for is rip that genie Band-Aid off. And that's exactly what happens. So Cave of Wonders looks good. Cave of Wonders looks the, great. I mean, the outside, like you said, still looks scary. Still, you know, they go for all the fanfare. I, I almost would have liked to see more of it. Um because I feel like in the animation, like it takes forever to like settle back into the sand. And I kind of wanted to see like the roaring and the craziness and whatever. Um, I think the inside looks really cool though, because it was kind of similar to Pirates of the Caribbean uh, in the first one, you know, where Barbosa, ta- where the last yeah. scene takes yes, place. Yes, yes. Um, but they. You know, especially with the uh, the tears that they do with the rocks to get up to the lamp, they made all of that work. And, yep. you know, they made all of it work practically for something that's, like, very embellished in the animation. Um, so I think that all looked cool. Um, the lava was okay. I feel like that happened pretty fast, and you didn't get, like, that chase scene with the carpet that you do in the animation. But... Um, what I really liked after is that like all the gold is like melted over the rocks and you kind of see it, it looks really, really pretty. So that I think they did a really nice job with. And the big change here, rather than Abu just touching the jewel and the cave of wonders closing in on itself, Jafar has actually found an exit to the cave of wonders Mm -hmm. and he's waiting there for Aladdin. Well, it's the mouth. It was always the mouth. That's right. It was always the mouth and Aladdin flies up um, on the carpet and he gives Jafar the lamp Mm -hmm. and Jafar steps on his hand because he's clinging to the rock and basically leaves him for dead. Yeah, Aladdin says, give me your hand and he's like, I'll give you my foot. Yeah, exactly. pretty cold. It is. 
But Abu jumps up on Jafar and steals the lamp back and escapes back into the cave before it closes in on them. So that's when you do get him rubbing the lamp and out comes the genie. And now that we have seen a totally rendered finished product of Will Smith as the genie, I can say it works. I like it. I like him. I like how he looks. This works. I totally agree. Um, and I like the carpet, too. I didn't mention that. I thought that looked really good. Yeah, the carpet looks great. The carpet really looks great, which I hate saying because Randy Cartwright animated the carpet. So, like, I definitely have a special place in my heart for the carpet now. And and one of the things that was so impressive about it was that, you know, when we interviewed him, that was my biggest thing. I was like, how do you make something emote like that? Um you know, without a face. And I, I thought that that had to be such a challenge. And he explained how they used to practice on a sack of flour and, you know, like make it sag if it's sad and all that kind of stuff. So you do lose some of that with this new carpet because yes. it's not as, it's definitely as much a part of the story, but you don't get some of those emotional moments from it. But anyway, back to the genie. Um, yeah. I, I love Will Smith as the genie. Um, I think he did an amazing job. I didn't know if I was going to love the top knot that they gave him, but I think it works. They they make it work. Um, and they also call themselves out on how ridiculous it looks. Exactly. Where he's like, that's my little cherry on top. Yeah. Um, but what I really like about it is that the way that they use the CGI here, where the genie has those baggy pants, you don't see that on Will Smith until he takes the human form. Here, it's just that smoky swirl. I think that's the perfect way besides making him blue to give it that genie effect because what else were you going to do? Were you going to make him glow? It would have looked stupid. I, I don't know what people expected here. You're doing a live action remake and people threw their hands up when they saw the first production shot where he wasn't blue. All right, so you made him blue and then people threw their hands up again. I agree with you. I don't know what people expected here. And I like that they gave him more human form because yes. it, it does work for the story because, you know, we know who the genie is when they're doing Prince Ali. But because they're spending so much more time in the palace, you really need him to take on human form. Otherwise, the jig is up. But even more so than that, just from a production standpoint, it's less to do. You know, this movie would have taken another six months if they had to animate him the entire time. And tens and tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, it, it was worth it, I think. So, friend like me. You want to go first? Or you I'll want me? let you go. <laughs> Here's the thing. And we said it at the top of the episode. It's never going to be the same. So, at this point, the first time we saw it, I was already so engaged in what I was seeing... I was able to suspend my expectations and pretty much just forget about the animation and just watch it for what it is. But towards the end of it, I was reminded that it was never going to be the same. And I sort of felt like that they didn't try enough with this number. Um, there were a few things working against it. I think that Will Smith is playing it silly, but not nearly as extreme and as eccentric. So you're losing a lot of 
what the genie is like creating in thin air. Um, they still did a good job with it. Like in the beginning of the song, it's the 40 thieves. And, um, you know, like he is pulling out all the stops with the Mater D line and all that. But the end of it, that song builds and builds. And you said it in the beginning of the episode, it's supposed to have that huge punch at the end. And the song doesn't build in the same way. And, what it does do, it proves that Mina Musud is a sick dancer. Like him and Will Smith at the end of this number, the dancing is phenomenal and I love it. You know, Jeannie's got him like on the puppet strings and all that and they, they're they wonderful together. But that song does not have the attack at the end that I so desperately wanted from it. And I can appreciate the fact that Will Smith is, he's got ginormous shoes to fill and he's trying to make it his own but I kind of feel like they shied away from it and they were just like, let the animated one have it. We're not even going to try to outdo ourselves on this one. I agree with most of what you said. I don't think that they sat there and said, we're not even going to try because then why would they even make the movie? I think True. that they were working within their limitations. I think they recognized that Will Smith as talented as he is, doesn't have the range to carry that song the way that Robin Williams did. And let's not mix signals. I think that Will Smith did do a good job here. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams did an amazing job. Will Smith did a good job. So I think they were kind of just working with what they had. What kills this entire thing for me is the song wraps up and you have Aladdin, who's a very intelligent character, I waxed poetic about how smart he was and how I'm happy that they went ahead and did that. How does he not understand, even after Friend Like Me, how any of this works? Right, and it's not even like a disbelief. Yeah, it's just like... Because he's kind of rolling with it. And he's just like, wait, so what happens? And Will Smith even said, how do you, how do you not understand this? There was a whole song was the instruction manual. What are you talking about? What I do like, though, is prior to the song the genie just expects that there's like a henchman that sent Aladdin in to do the dirty work. So genie is totally in tune with the Jafar character. Right. But I think the song is bastardized when Aladdin still doesn't get it. And he needs to have it explained to him again. It's like, well, we kind of just wasted our time then, didn't we? That's what I think. Yeah, I mean... And the whole thing in the animated one is that he doesn't understand and Jeannie's like, let me explain it. So if they would have stuck with that, that that's where they should have stayed true to the source material is because the song is the explanation. Yeah. And you have an Aladdin that's confused in the animated film that goes through this number and he's now totally enthused and he's having fun and he's ready to roll with the genie. And this one is just still like, oh, I don't I don't get this. Uh, what's happening right now? What I do like about what they're doing here is that they definitely build on Aladdin being the good guy. That's not just going to use these three wishes aimlessly that he really does take more time to think about what he wants. Um I don't like how they get out of the cave, though. I don't like that the rule with the lamp is that you have to be touching it. Especially yeah, that you have because, to rub it as you're wishing. Yeah, especially because for the second wish, that's when you really need to break the rule, and they kind of break it here. 
Like, why didn't you just outsmart the genie? You've outsmarted the guards. You're supposed to be, you know, we said it before, how in tune he is with everything in the world around him. Why didn't you just do exactly what you did in the original? And it's, you know, never say I wish, but make him prove it on his own that he can get you out of the cave. And I also didn't love here when Jeannie goes, let's go to the instant replay. And it shows like the film reels are coming off and he's sitting in a movie theater and he turns and he breaks the fourth wall. Oh, the old monkey and the lamp trick. It's, I feel like I'm watching Looney Tunes at this point. See, I, that doesn't bother me that much because they used a lot of those gimmicks as opposed to the genie always replicating himself. And I think that's one of my issues with friend like me as well is that they do it like in the Mater D scene, but like they don't have 47 genies running around at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't. It just would have taken forever to do. So I get that. But I like that they didn't shy away from writing in things like that just to save time and money. I guess. Um, Well, they get out and Aladdin wishes to be a prince. And you do get a fresh prince throwaway in there. Um, You do get a little bit of an Easter egg when he says, make me a prince is very vague. I mean, I can make you a prince. And then you see... It's clearly Will Smith in the color palette from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Funny, not lost on our generation. A kid's not going to understand what that means. Well, it's it's twofold. You definitely get the joke and you definitely get the Easter egg, but it's also, it introduces the idea of the gray area of a wish having to be very specific. Yes. Because it, it's still funny, just in the layman's terms of like, he said, make me a prince. So he conjures a prince yeah. that's going to follow him around all day, you know? And he says, he had a line like, could you imagine snuggling up to that at night? Yeah, that that is really funny. I kind of wish they had got, um, what's his name, Alfonso uh, Carlton. That oh. would have been great if they got Carlton to do it. Yeah. Um, there's another Easter egg in that scene, though. The carpet is playing with the sand and he builds a castle, the castle, not all castle and uh, he shoots a firework off in the sand which is pretty great um but i like i like the little breather they take here and they do kind of set up they start to build that friendship and uh you know aladdin's asking him what he would wish for so um i I think that's good i think it's a good scene i think they're great together they are great together and i think that when the genie starts behaving like a fashion designer I think it's funny. I think Will Smith had a lot of fun with it. Um, I have a lot of... I had a lot of fun watching this scene building up to the uh, introduction of Prince Ali. But what I really like here is Aladdin asks the genie, you've just changed my clothes. How are the people of Agrabah not going to recognize me? And he says, people... This is the genie says people see what they're told to see and i went that's really poetic it is because it works for the story so there's no questions asked about how he's because that's the thing like in the animated we know it's the genie but when they draw him differently like in a human form we know who he's supposed to be so there's a lot more wiggle room that they have to show where they're blending in but we know who it really is. So in that little throwaway line, they've addressed that. But it's also, like you said, it is poetic. It's such a commentary on social media. Yes. 
It's fantastic. And what Disney has accomplished in these live action remakes is when they address something so blatant, like in the Cinderella remake. Mm. Um, and Cinderella says to her fairy godmother, how are they not going to recognize me? Oh, well, because I've put this power, because I've used my spell and I put these clothes on you, you'll be unrecognizable to the world. Right. Okay, makes sense. Quick throwaway, throwaway line, it makes sense, we're moving on. Yeah, no, but this was brilliant that they did the throwaway and they, they gave it such bigger meaning. But I totally agree with you is that... I mean, I don't I don't think that they shot this film in order, but I almost feel like Friend Like Me was the test run and that's why it kind of fell short. Here, like you said, once Will Smith is putting the Prince Ali outfit together, he starts warming up. And by the time we get to Prince Ali, he has hit his stride and made this genie completely his own. You said it before. We're 90s kids. We're showing our age. What we get here is the genie full throttle, but we also get our classic Will Smith. And this is where I was like, all right, I'm in. This is fantastic. He's totally pulling it off and then some. And I have yet to watch this movie and finish this number without the stupidest grin on my face. This is my favorite part of the whole movie. The Prince Ali scene. Yeah. So... First off, he has a joke about putting a hat on Aladdin, and Aladdin says, that's a really big hat. And he goes, though, that's not a big hat. So then you see him, and that's a bad hat, Harry. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous, the size of the hat that he's got on. That I'm not about. I understand it's a joke. It's meant to cash in on a previous joke. I don't think it's necessary. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he doesn't wear it in the whole number. It's just for that little introduction. And by the time he gets off of his parade float, it's gone. Yeah. But I can live without that. My thing with Prince Ali here, Will Smith, I think I agree with you. He does a great job because he's playing multiple characters as well. Right. So, But he also peppers in himself when he's like, fellas, okay, ladies. Yeah. It's him. But is it rock? Is it hip-hop? Don't care. Is it Bollywood? Don't care. I, but I do, though. It's, it's too much. You're not grounded in one thing here. You are grounded in Prince Ali, and it's the song we know, and it's amped up, and I don't care what genre of music it is because it's perfect. The scene is fun. It's too discombobulated they blended everything together and it just works works worse especially when it gets the end and that's what i'm talking about where he really hits his stride when uh you know he's got the full chorus behind him and he's like ho ho and the the i'm not going till you go that is classic will smith it's hilarious oh i was ready to throw my sunglasses on and break into men in black when we saw this movie for the first Here, time get jiggy with it um I think it's brilliant. I think it's funny. I think it all works. And, you know, where it blends the music, and I'm just going to totally disagree with you here. You know, you, you get the song, and it's it's a little bit rock, but then when they do the pause for I'm Not Going Till You Go and they throw back into it, it's the Bollywood dancing, so they slow it down a little bit, and he starts dancing with the ensemble. I, I think it's just perfect. Then we get into the palace. You're nothing. No, I, I it's 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 fun, but
but there's too much going on. I love it. It's a, See, that's the thing. And that's where I think this was better. That's what I wanted from Friend Like Me. He's the genie. He's supposed to be in eight different places. There's supposed to be a lot going on, and they finally delivered on it here. To me, this is this is the letdown for me in this movie. Ah, oh. it just is. We get into the palace, and we talked earlier about how sometimes you can accomplish awkward comedy very well, and other times it falls flat on its face. I feel like when you do jokes based upon food, again. I'm looking at you, 2016 Ghostbusters answer the call with the wonton soup. (laughs) The jam joke. There's a scene in this movie where Prince Ali cannot uh, stop painting himself into a corner. And everything he says is like this. And I've brought you jams. Strawberry jams and yam jams. jams. It's, It's really bad. It's supposed to be. So they achieved that. But it drags on too it long. drags far too long. I, like, I'm wondering if they were like aiming this at kids. I don't really know. Um, definitely awkward. I like that the genie calls it out a couple of times when he's like, the lamp is dark and cold and I prefer it to this. Or and something about like 10,000 years and I've never seen something so awkward. Yep. I don't know why we got so stuck on the jams because to me the most awkward part and you could have just had this be the whole scene is they could have focused on how expensive everything is because and that also works well for the character because he's never had any of this to give to someone else. So if he just stayed focused on I have all of these gifts for you and they're so extravagant and there's so much money. The delivery still works for when Jasmine asks him what are you going to buy with this expensive gift and he goes you and then everybody just wants to die I do it's just so painfully awkward but if that was all the scene was you had it you didn't need all the jam stuff what they deviated from from the original film was when he was swinging and missing with Jasmine it's because he was trying to be Prince Ali Ababwa Mm -hmm. and he was way too arrogant and he was thinking who he was in this case he's totally unable to speak with her well wait a minute why yep. are you unable to speak with her now That's with no problem talking to her the entire time and exactly. it's not just this scene this goes on in this scene and then it happens in the next scene and then it starts to happen in the scene after that it's where 75 percent of your film where is the confidence yep where is it it's not there. No, you're right. And that is the biggest disconnect because he's already spoken to her. I understand the pressure that he feels because he needs this to go well and he knows that he can't keep wishing for anything else to get him out of this situation or build on this situation because he can't wish for love and he knows that. And at this point, he still does want to free the genie. So he kind of, there's the pressure of having like your one shot at this. But it was a completely wrong choice because you've already established that you can speak to her confidently. And I get it. You're playing into the, into the be yourself theme because when he was himself, he was able to do this easily. Mm-hmm. But that's also when you thought that Jasmine was the handmaid. So I guess maybe that's where this is too, is to f- have figured out that she is the princess. Maybe. 
Because that's the other thing that we're forgetting. At this point, he still doesn't know. He still thinks that that she's the handmaid. It's not until this moment he realizes that she is. So, yeah, I guess that's where you do kind of get fumbly to realize that you were talking oh, to wait, the princess. Oh, wait, no, I'm that- sorry. He does know that she's the princess. Jafar tells him that that was the princess, I think. Before they went into the Cave of Wonders, didn't he out her as the princess? Saying that she liked to go speak to common folk. Right, because then why would he have wished to be a prince? Yes. So he knew. He he did he know. He did know. But, okay, then this is their first interaction as after he knew. Yes. But but still, though, I get what you're saying, because now, now there's added pressure because he's talking to the princess. He didn't right. know that before. Right. But... It's still far too awkward. He should still be able to talk to her. And and yeah, I kind of wish that they played up the arrogance thing like they did. Because in the original film, it works because mm. she's turned off because she thinks he's just a typical prince. He's just another jerk. Which they, that should have been a running bit too because instead you have Prince Puss Puss as her oh first quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Puss Puss. He's... It's funny. (laughs) I think it's funny, but it's other than that one line, it's pretty terrible. Yeah. The next scene is their dancing scene because now the Sultan has said, you will get another chance to speak with her. They're having a party and he doesn't know how to dance. I wish the Sultan hadn't like bailed him out though. Like, why did we, it's like, oh, don't worry. You'll have another chance because he's trying to marry her off. Yeah. Um, but he he gives them another another chance, and Aladdin doesn't know how to dance. So the genie is basically saying, "Just get loose, and I'll handle it." I think the physical comedy here that Mina Masood accomplished was outstanding because basically the idea is that the genie is flicking his fingers in his wrist, and he's acting as if. Aladdin is a puppet on the strings, sands the strings. And still trying to be subtle about it in a room full of people. And I think that the actor really pulled this off very well. Oh, he's a sick dancer. Well, I love the Bollywood feel here, and I wish that they would have done this more throughout the movie. I Because I feel like there are times where they go for it and other times where they abandon it. And I think I've already said a couple of times that sometimes the soundtrack is not consistent within itself. Well, here's here's the thing with Bollywood. Bali Bollywood comes from Indian culture. So I think you're pulling from it stylistically and with the dancing and a little bit of the music, but this is not an Indian film. So I can understand where they maybe didn't want to go full bore with it and be culturally inaccurate. Exactly. Well, Regardless, I still think that the thing is confused. Um, but I love the scene, though. Yeah, the scene is good. And again, Jasmine's turned off because now he's doing too much. Okay, that's great. Why didn't we just run with this the entire time? Right. We went with the awkward thing. So Jeannie right. is sent to distract Dahlia as they go for a stroll. And uh, Aladdin makes his way back into... Again, I don't know if it's I don't know if you call it her bedroom, it's like her, her wing. quarters. She's got like a whole wing. But I like that they um they start establishing the romance between the genie and Dahlia as well. Yeah, it makes sense. It works. Um 
I like that she calls to his attention that I can't find a Babwa on any of my maps. And he's basically through telepathy asking the genie for help and the genie draws a map of the magic kingdom great little easter egg. great easter egg it's very funny um and then eventually he does put a babwa on the map and she's like how did i not see this before and we're all kind of thinking the same thing like yeah how did you not see this before i like that the genie is also starting to make him sweat it out and he's yeah. gonna hang him out to dry because you know at this point, Aladdin's starting to win her over, and the genie's like, they're going to figure you out eventually, so you may as well start being up a little more upfront about her. Yeah, and it again, it leads into the be yourself. Yes. And then we get a whole new world. And you know what? It sounds so good. The oh my two God. of them absolutely kill this song. Naomi Scott has an amazing voice, but damn this CGI. Damn it to where it belongs. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there was no way to really pull this off without the CGI, but they shouldn't have CGI'd entire sets. Like, they should have just put them in front of the blue screen and, and done, like, actual photography and actual video behind them. Like that waterfall, that's all computer-built. I honestly feel every time I watch this, and more so the first time because we saw it in the theaters versus watching it on a 43-inch screen at home, mm. I felt like I was watching PhilharMagic from, you know, at the Magic Kingdom for those who are not familiar with it. It's, it's a 3D movie where Donald Duck ends up on the magic carpet flying through Agrabah during a whole new world following Aladdin and Jasmine. And that's how this felt. No, and that fill her magic actually makes me sweat every time we get to that point because... It's so good. It's so good. And he's like dangling from the carpet and he takes that dive. I actually, I'm not going to lie, I close my eyes on that part. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. The Never noticed that behind move. my 3D glasses, huh? The seats don't even move. I know. I know but it's very real. It is. This it, was not. It is very real. And that's the thing. No, when you for, get the whoosh. So when you. I, I can't. You, I can't deal with it. You think about attractions at any Disney park, but specifically Walt Disney World, because it's where we've gone the most. Think about Flight of Passage. Think about Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Think about Star Tours. You're sitting in a vehicle that is actually moving. Mm -hmm. So you're getting the feeling in your stomach, in your head, that you're actually in motion. Because you are. Yeah. It's a simulator. That's the point. You close the, your eyes and it's not... PhilharMagic. You, you have that sensory deprivation. In PhilharMagic, the seats don't move. Right. You are bolted to the floor. Right. But you still get the feeling because it's done so well. How did you miss that here? Yeah. Especially because we're talking about PhilharMagic. Like, I have to close my eyes on that, and I close my eyes on the Banshee dive in Flight of Passage. It's also different when I'm talking about PhilharMagic because you know you're watching a cartoon. Right. But I'm if I have to close my eyes when I'm bolted to the floor, and I do the same thing on Flight of Passage that is a full-blown simulator... It's just that good. So, yeah, you shouldn't have missed it here. But 
I don't really notice at times because the song otherwise is just so well done. And I love what they did with Jasmine's costume here that they, you know, they gave her her traditional blue costume, but they added these peacock feathers to it. And it's just gorgeous. You then get um, Jafar. He gets his hands on the lamp. And wait, before we get to that part, she is starting to put the two and two together. Yes. Because when they end a whole new world, yes, yes. Um, they and I, I like what they did. They gave they layered her story a little bit more. They end with them people watching in Agrabah and they're watching like a party on the streets below. So you get a little bit more of that emotion from Jasmine about how she's missing what her mother wanted for, you know, for their people. For their people, exactly. Um and then she does the it's a shame or or no, she's it's not a shame a boo had to miss this. That's the animated one. She says she sees a monkey and she's like, Oh, that looks like a boo. And then that's when Aladdin goes, yeah. re- reveals himself. Right. Um, it makes sense. And I like the fact that he calls her on it because she's like, How how could you lie and pretend to be a thief? And he was like, How could you pretend to be something that you weren't and be in the marketplace. That should have been the out because then he tells her, I got here early to learn about your people. Yeah, because he just can't, <laughs> because he can't stop talking himself out of these lies. Right. And again, this is where you're kind of starting to get disconnected from what makes Aladdin such a great character. Mm. Now Jafar gets his hands on the lamp. And... His laugh is so manic, and it is so poorly overacted. Ha 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 ha! It's like, oh my god, oh my god! Wh- like what? What nineteen seventies film did we pull you from? Some low budget film. It's it's like watching Doctor Evil. But it's not meant to be done as a parody. Like, he's actually, he thinks this is how Jafar acts. Right. It's horrendous. By far the weakest part of this movie is Jafar. And that's, without spoiling too much, he's the weakest part of this movie. Yeah, that was that was a huge letdown. Especially because Jafar is one of my favorite villains. He's a great, he's a like, timeless villain. Definitely top five, probably even top three. He's one of the best characters ever put to film in the Disney canon. So how this is the character we ended up with, it seems like this where I can understand where you get people from our generation that say, you've bastardized my childhood. Do I think that that's... What happens, again, I'm not going to spoil much. You'll hear my final synopsis when we get to the end of the film. But I will say, I'm not going to be so dramatic as to say you've bastardized my entire childhood, but I agree with people where they say that. What I do like is that in this scene where he captures Aladdin and pushes him over the, uh, you know, he's he's got him figured out, and he's like... If you have the lamp, the genie's going to save you, so we're going to know. Otherwise, you die. So it's like either way, there's really bad consequences here. Yeah. But I don't love the scene where where the genie actually rescues him. 
Because now this is the second time you've technically used a wish and you were not touching the lamp. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. But that's how it happens in the animated film. He brushes it to, oh, to that's reveal right. it. And the genie's like, I'm going to have to make this call. This is not an official wish, but you're using one. That's it. That's right, because he kind of brushes it as he's reaching for it. Yes. And in this case, he's already unconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, what I do like here is that they hearken back to Jafar as a thief mm. because they show Jafar disguised as a peddler in the marketplace and he pickpockets the lamp away so they tied that around very nicely but that's yes that's the best part of this scene and it shouldn't be the best part of this scene really should be aladdin's rescue because that's where the drama comes in well this is two different scenes because oh that's right that's right aladdin getting rescued proves that he has the lamp so now that he's outed then he gets in the argument with the genie because two wishes are gone and now Aladdin really starts to get conflicted. So that's why he goes back home to the marketplace and that's where Jafar does take it from him. That's right. My mistake. I apologize. No, it is It is all kind of one scene because it, it it's all about Aladdin or Jafar exposing Aladdin. Um, but yeah, as far as the timeline goes, Jafar does not have the lamp yet because he needs... He needs to get rescued. Aladdin still has it when he pushes him over. Yeah. Or no, no, no. I'm sorry. He doesn't. Abu brings it to him. He he drops it off the carpet. Right. Um, and similar to the animated version of the film, he's conflicted about how to use the third wish because he now tells Genie, I don't think I can use my third wish to free you. I'm sorry. And the way that this gets played off differently is in the animated version of the film, the genie is heartbroken. He's very hurt by what Aladdin has told him, mm. and he goes back into the lamp. Here, obviously the genie's upset, but I feel like he's pouting more. It, yeah, it's more like a... You did the exact thing that I knew you were going to do just like everybody else. And then he just kind of moves on. Especially, too, when, like, the genie's got so much more at stake now because it's not just about his freedom. He has a love interest now, so you would think that he'd be a lot more... Th th there'd be a lot more of a reaction because he's got a lot more to lose. Yeah, and that doesn't really happen here. What I really don't like that they did is once Jafar starts using his wishes, Aladdin has left the palace because... He's conflicted. He's trying to figure everything out. He's looking at the palace. You see the blue because the genie's using his magic to do Jafar's bidding. And then they cut back to the scene where he pickpockets the lamp. I'm like, we know he got it. Th this is one thing. It's like, you know, where Disney had no issue assuming that we know who Jasmine is in the beginning. And they don't flush that out early on and now here it's like you have to cut back to Jafar stealing the lamp we know the entire time he's going to steal the lamp we see that the genie is using magic we saw him very obviously uh, you know steal it from Aladdin earlier we know he has it I, but I like how they showed it though 
I don't think we needed to see Aladdin piecing it together because they do show Jafar rubs the lamp right away. The genie comes out in the middle of the alleyway and he hits his head on something. They draw attention to it. Right. So it's like, I don't need to see Aladdin putting the two and two together. Right, because he rubs the lamp in the marketplace. He goes like in an alley and he does it. Yeah. Right. So um, now Aladdin's got to get back to the palace. Now he's got to get back to the palace and Jafar has become the sultan and... You get the scene where he's he's basically forcing Jasmine to marry him. She doesn't really want to do it. But the best part about this scene is that it was the big it was the big thing leading into this film was Jasmine's going to get a song. Because Jasmine doesn't have one in the animated film. Mm-hmm. And we see the scene where, as she tells you, she will not go speechless. And I think of all of the changes that they made in this film, this was the best one. Because this was the perfect addition to the soundtrack. I think that it should have been a radio hit. I think they were trying to get a radio hit out of it. Again, it feels like a, a rock power ballad. Naomi Scott annihilates this entire scene. And I like the fact that they give this strong character a song, but they give her a message that she's going to send and that she gives her a pedestal on which she is going to stand and show everybody that she is a stronger character than just being the princess. And and it's more than I want to be sultan i want to show you that i am a strong person treat me as an equal and the way that disney handles this is perfect because it gives you the female empowered song it makes jasmine a stronger character it does it without being preachy and what's really interesting is that at this part in the animation we had talked about when we did our review she's wearing that red outfit that Jafar has put her in. You know, I think we likened it to the uh, Princess Leia bikini yes. with Jabba. Yep. Um, so they eliminated that, and instead of making her a sex object, they empowered her and they gave her a song. And, you know, it's funny. I remember when we saw this, our good friends had seen it before us, and and called us i mean they called us as to they were say how good it was but she texted me and she was like oh my god jasmine song you're gonna die and they do a little piece of speechless earlier on in the movie and i was like this this is it like what it's all of 30 seconds <laughs> and i was like what what's the big deal about that and and meanwhile my friend is going on about it like it's the next coming of let it go and i'm like what's the big deal then we get to the full song and oh my god i see what the big deal is it's incredible the whole number is incredible the way she sings it is amazing um alan menken you've done it again oh my god i i can't say enough good things about it i i absolutely love this song yeah uh, it's it's an earworm once you get it in your head you can't shake it and i wonder if part of the reason why it didn't become it didn't i don't think it didn't get recognized by the Academy, I don't think, did it? I don't think it did. 
I don't remember. I'm no, because it would be this movie came out last year, so right, it would have been would, this year. It would be up now, right? Because it, it, 2019, so it doesn't get a nomination, right? It doesn't because get Beyonce has the nomination. Oh, why does so why Beyonce has a nomination for the song in the Lion King, but there's no and no- Randy Newman has it for Toy Story. Wrong. It's so totally wrong. I know we haven't reviewed either of those movies yet, and we will get to them, you know, eventually. We're working on it. We're spending this entire month catching up on last year. We're trying. We'll see if we can pull that off. We're trying. But it's like, oh, my God. And, you know, Disney has the record for most Oscars. The next person in line with the record who's who's never going to beat it is Alan Menken. And now you've just destroyed any chance that he has. Stupid Academy. And it gets to my point here. Do you think the song did not get recognized because the critics, by and large, did not like this movie? Oh, give me a freaking break. I can, no, I can't talk about Academy politics. It's, it's ridiculous. It, 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 you might be right, because this is a better song than, than both of those. It's a much better song. And it didn't get recognized. This critic thinks it's a better song. It is a better song. Honestly, unpopular opinion... I think it's as good as Let It Go. I, I thought you were going to say better than, and I, I would have I would have had some words for you, but yeah, as good. I'm not going to say as it's good. better than, I'll say it's equal to. No, and especially too, because obviously, you know, it is about Jasmine being empowered, but the, the shift here is that this is where it becomes her movie. Yep. Because obviously we're deviating from the original a lot. Um at this point because they've added a song because the story shifts but also because at this point in the animation Aladdin is completely exposed and Jafar banishes him and then he's got to work his way back and figure this out as Aladdin without the genie and it's again sticking with the be yourself theme here Jafar does banish Aladdin Jasmine is left to figure this out by herself and instead of just casting her aside and that that was the thing they they put her in the hourglass it's not she decides to stand up to Jafar and he's torturing everyone that she loves right which is why she agrees to marry him and then Aladdin shows up right and I'm hot and cold on the end of this movie because Jafar has used Two of his wishes. Now it's time for his third. And Aladdin says to him, you said it yourself, Jafar. You're either the top dog. Again, I'm paraphrasing. You're either the top dog in the room or you're everyone else. Mm. You'll always be second to the genie. Right. In terms of your power. And they get Iago second, second. And, you know, uh, Jafar goes crazy and says... I wish to be the most powerful being on earth. And the genie, he's looking at Aladdin with the smirk because he knows what he's setting him up to do. Yeah, and he goes, yeah, yeah. a lot of gray area in that wish, but okay. And he just makes him a genie. So I understand there's gray area, so you have a lot of room to be creative here. But what makes the end of Aladdin, the animated film, so great is the fact that you outsmarted Jafar into painting himself into a corner. Right. And his greed 
and his selfishness and his arrogance go one step too far. He acts without thinking. Mm-hmm. Here, you leave it completely open-ended and you did it to him. It's fine that he gets his comeuppance, but I like in the animated version that he does it to himself and I feel like you lose so much of the climax over one word. Over one word. Because he specifically wishes to be a genie. The most powerful genie. Mm. I mean, are you playing into the fact that the genie is the most powerful and by wishing to be the most powerful being, that's that's what you get. I mean, yes, it does answer that, but like that also kind of makes the genie seem arrogant and he shouldn't. But yeah, it should have been that specific wish. I like that they're, they're bringing the gray area thing full circle, but it's like that would have been implied no matter what, even if he did wish to be the genie, it's all a setup. So the gray area thing still would have worked because it's you don't realize that what you're wishing for and you don't realize what comes with it. And I'm wondering if when Guy Ritchie, you know, he directed this film, I'm wondering if that was a criticism they had of the first movie. You have this strong villain in Jafar who's intelligent and he's calculated and he's cunning. How does he not realize if he becomes a genie, he goes he into goes a in lamp? lamp? So I can see where... They shifted this way to fill that void, but I feel like you filled a hole with dirt that you dug another hole with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it it kind of cheapens it Yeah, a little bit, but I mean, maybe that, that does kind of make sense if that's what they were trying to address here, but I'd, I'd be interested in trying to find out some more about that. But I, I think we both agree that that's a miss. Definitely. What I do like, though, I think we have a better ending here between Jasmine and her father, because in the animation, it's I'm going to change the law and you can marry whoever you want. And, you know, it definitely plays back into the hand of the be yourself story because she chose Aladdin for his heart of gold and nothing else. Um, Here, again, it's that shift where this has become Jasmine's story now, and it's about not about her choosing Aladdin, which she ultimately does, but it's about her becoming the sultan and getting her father to recognize that she's the right person for the job. Yeah, I think it works as a fine ending. She becomes the sultan. She changes the law. I think it's a great conclusion to her story. So let's ruin it with a dance number. (laughs) Okay, you have issues with that in films as a whole this is a credit scene it's not necessarily part of the movie yes, it is. god you jersey boys just ruined yep. you yep jersey i boys. always am down to see Kristen christopher walken dancing jersey boys was a great movie based on a great broadway show and it's an incredible story the life that frankie valley lives because he is still with us However, you've taken this amazing story with this timeless music and then you got them. uh, It's like you want to do that at the end of a Broadway show. Everybody stand up and let's dance and clap. Oh, what a night. You know, like 
you, you, you can't, you don't do that in a film. You don't do that in a movie. I don't like when they do it in theater, much less doing it in a film, because it just feels like it's so cheesy. Like, let's get up and dance, everyone. For them to do that here, and then Jasmine's beatboxing, give me a freaking break. See, I, I mean, maybe this is the musical lover in me. It never bothers me. And what I like is that it gives the actors a chance to let loose a little bit. See, to me, it's not a scene in the movie. It's more of a peek behind the curtain. I, I, don't, I don't need to peek that bad. <clears throat> if I want to peek behind the curtain, I'll watch the special features on the Blu-ray. This is not the peak that I need. And it also reminds me of the end of Greece, where they're just da 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 and they all kind of like we're dancing and we separate and then they get in the car and they fly away. Uh, uh, see, that's the thing. The Greece, I look at that as the end of the movie, and then then the car is that credits thing that you don't need. Why are you flying off into that? We did forget though an important part of the end of this movie is that you see that the genie ends up, they were very, very careful not to show Dahlia's face in the beginning, right. which you don't realize when you're watching it the first time. But now that you, you know, now that you know where all of this is going, they're very careful not to show her. Right. So you see that the genie is a human. Now those are his children with Dahlia. So it ties back around to the beginning and ties back around to the, question you had in the animated film where is the peddler the genie in human form this at least confirms that but we also don't find out why the mother was killed we know that she was killed how is a queen killed and why when you kill the queen you best have you best have a conclusion to that storyline no because it's not like what were we talking about a couple of weeks ago Dumbo where there's the throwaway line of the influenza got her yep. this wasn't a sickness this was she a was murdered yeah how and why and it goes absolutely nowhere well I think and I don't know if this is true but just if, if pressed in my opinion I think that that is playing into why the Sultan is so scared for Jasmine is probably that she stuck her neck out to save her people and it didn't work out. But don't I you can't imply that. You need to tell me that that's what happened. Yeah. And it it would have been it, it could have been a line in any of the arguments with her father over why she wants to be sultan. I think for me in conclusion here um in spite of the horrendous Jafar which on its own would be enough for anybody to dislike this movie completely. In spite of the fact that there's poor CGI, in spite of the fact that the mother storyline goes nowhere, in spite of the fact that I think sometimes the soundtrack is inconsistent, I still enjoy watching this film. Is it horrendous? No. Is it the best Disney anime, uh, best Disney live action interpretation? In my opinion, no. But. I think, by and large, the cast is still good enough. By and large, I think that the changes they made to the soundtrack, while inconsistent, I think the songs on their own are still good enough. When you put them all together, are they cohesive? Not necessarily. The movie's good. It's not great. I have fun when I watch it. 
And that's about the best I can say about it. Refresh my memory. What is your favorite live action? Have we reviewed it on the show? Is it Cinderella? Uh, I loved the... I, no, I, I know loved, Cinderella's I up there it. for you. I love the Cinderella live action remake. Um, we have yet to review Lion King, so I'm not going to say where that is on my list of live action remakes. It wasn't Jungle Book. I liked Maleficent a lot. Um... While it is not a straight remake of Sleeping Beauty, I, I really did like Maleficent. Mm -hmm. This one is, again, I said last week, I believe that Lady and the Tramp is better than Middle of the Road, but it is Middle of the Road when mm -hmm. you rank it just because of the amount that they've done. They haven't done a ton of these. And I feel like this one ranks slightly above Lady and the Tramp. Though not my favorite. But what is your favorite? Of the ones we've reviewed up to this point in time, Cinderella. This is my favorite. I have said it on the show before. And you're right. We did mention some flaws with it. The CGI is not always great. Not cats bad, but just not great at some points. Despite that this is a week or Jafar than I wanted... I think that there's enough that they did do with the story, specifically Jasmine's story arc, that does make this great. But what really makes this my favorite live-action remake is the thing that I was least expecting, and that is that I left this theater feeling like a kid. And none of the other live-action remakes have been able to do that for me. I absolutely loved it on first viewing. Now that we've had a couple of viewings to digest it a little bit, I'm seeing a little bit more where we did find that it's not perfect. But as far as, you know, and this is all that matters to me because this is why we go to the movies is how I felt when I left and I just absolutely loved it. We're interested in knowing what you have to say about the 2019 live action remake of Aladdin. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Going to talk about news this week in just a moment, but first, a quick break. Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the Internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money but she has the insight and the connections to do so on top of that it was stress-free so all my vacations in the future are going to be through her because i don't have to think about it she plans it i give her some information in regards to what i want to do what my plans are for that week when i go visit disney and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me she's a market expert Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. 
Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So like Brian said, even if you are familiar with the booking process, I can still help you and find you a better deal. Get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week. Little Parks news, Little Disney Plus news. We're going to start in the parks. because It was a big news week. It was a big news week, and I want to start in Epcot because Epcot, I can't even say Epcot is getting a facelift. They're basically rebuilding Epcot, <laughs> but you're starting to see part of that quote-unquote facelift. In uh, World Showcase, they have the sign-up for Gusto's, and that's where you're going to have the Ratatouille Adventure Ride in the France Pavilion of World Showcase. A lot of people getting excited about this. It's going to be a trackless ride, and... I'm cautiously optimistic. I like Ratatouille. I have not seen the movie in a very long time, but I have said before that I kind of like that Epcot is a place where you do get a slight break from the Disney characters um, in that it, it doesn't feel like an atypical Disney park. I understand why they're making this change. I'm sure at the end of the day, I'll walk away from that ride having enjoyed it, but I am cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I I like that they're starting to pepper in the characters, but I kind of wish that they they um, kept the tradition of World Showcase and they peppered the characters in more at the front of the park. Yeah, I like the edutation part of mm. Epcot Center, and I feel like you're starting to lose that. Although I will say, and I have said this before on the show, I believe that I'm glad they put Frozen in Norway. And they didn't just they needed something. ram another ride into, into Fantasyland. Yeah, you needed something there. Shifting over to Disney+, Plus, we have a release date for Stargirl starring Grace Vanderwall. That's going to open on March the 13th. And apparently it's a big deal. I don't know anything about Stargirl. Uh Well, not your demographic. It's based off a YA novel, but very popular one. Um but yeah, I'm I'm glad they're going to Disney Plus with it. I don't necessarily know that we need an, an entire theatrical release. Yeah, I think seeing some of these movies go to Disney Plus, we talked about Lady and the Tramp last week. I thought that made sense going straight to Disney Plus. This makes sense going there as well. Uh as more uh, as well as more Jeff Goldblum. We're getting more Jeff Goldblum on yes. Disney Plus. Uh The World According to Jeff Goldblum has been renewed for a Second season. Um, Excellent. Which is exciting because I love Jeff Goldblum. I know there are a lot of people that don't like this show, but the thing is, if you don't like Jeff Goldblum's humor, this show's going to get old fast. Right. But if you're into it, this show is a lot of fun to watch. So I'm happy to see him, and I'm, I'm happy to see that he's getting more with Disney because we've seen him pop up now in uh, Guardians. I believe it was Guardians he popped up in. Yes, with the um, the collector. Yes, we're seeing him there. We're seeing him here. I'm, I've always been a fan of Jeff Goldblum, so I'm happy to see that he's getting work consistently and specifically with Disney. Before we go, though, we do have some exciting news for you. We have a giveaway. It is the 4K plus Blu-ray plus digital copy of the original animated classic Aladdin. We have a copy to give away on the show couple of ways that you can win this. First, 
It's one of our gold standards. Just share the episode. You know, we always put the uh, episode up on social media. Share the link to this episode of Monorail Radio, and you are automatically entered to win a copy of Aladdin. Uh, you could do that on your Twitter, on your Facebook, and you actually had come up with something for uh, for Instagram that would work as well. For, because there are some people that don't have Facebook or Twitter, and they're only on Instagram. And who could blame them? At this Facebook point. is about <laughs> politics. Yeah. So if you, yeah, if you're on facebook share if you're on twitter retweet it and uh if you're on instagram if you want to either you know post a screen grab of you listening to monoreal radio on as either a post or in your story just make sure to tag us so we can see it yeah and you'll be entered to win thank you guys so much for joining us this week and every week on monoreal radio don't forget to hit the subscribe button and if you have friends or family that love Disney or love any of the films that we've spoken about, please share the link with them and show them that, uh, you know, we have talked about some films that maybe mean something to them. Cause I or know give Aladdin, them the chance to win or give them a chance to win. Exactly. Especially Aladdin, because this film means a lot to a lot of people. A lot of people, especially our generation grew up with this film. So we're happy to put a copy of this movie into your hands for Jackie. I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.